Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WBET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. A little later in the show, we're going to catch up with Reverend Faith Fowler, one of my favorite Detroiters. She's the executive director of Cass Community Social Services and pastor of the Cass Community United Methodist Church in Detroit. She has this wonderful program going on over on the west side, a tiny homes program where they're trying to give permanent homes, permanent residences to people who live in extreme poverty and homelessness here in Detroit. It is a really remarkable experiment of sorts, and uh, we'll hear from Faith how that's going and what they might be learning about solutions to poverty and homelessness from that project. But up front, it is Opposite Friday, the time when we try to make a point of inviting somebody in to talk about uh, the politics of our country from a different perspective. Someone maybe who sits across the political spectrum from me, somebody who might disagree. And in that role this week is Jeffrey Dorfman, who is a professor and economist at the University of Georgia. And what we want to talk about is the tax bill. Congress passed a two-week funding bill averting a government shutdown. That's at least until December 22nd. Meanwhile, they are also hoping to pass this giant tax overhaul before the end of the year. The U.S. House and Senate have both passed bills that would make big, big changes to the American tax system. Both bills would give big tax breaks to corporations, and both would blow a pretty substantial hole, trillion dollars in the federal deficit over the next decade, according to fiscal analyses. So what's the likely outcome if and when the House and Senate reconcile these two plans? There's a lot of things that are different between what the Senate did and what the House did. Uh, Now they have to get together and figure out how to make those things match. And what would those things mean for the economy? How would they affect you. Uh, we want to hear from you, too, about this issue. Of course, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. What do you think about that tax bill? Uh, what will it do to your bottom line? What do you think it will do to the country's bottom line? Do you support it? Uh, it does not have a lot of popular support. I'd love to hear from folks who do think it's uh, a good idea, think uh, it's a, a positive step Uh, for our economy or for the government. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page. You can put your comments there. If you go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, we'll try to work your comments into the conversation. But first, let me welcome Jeffrey Dorfman, who is a professor and economist at the University of Georgia, to the conversation. Jeffrey, good to talk to you again. Good morning, Stephen. Always happy to be on with you. Yeah. So let's start with the things that you like about this bill. And and I'll, I'll start by framing it this way. There are a lot of fiscal conservatives and libertarians who are very critical of this bill. It's not just uh, it's not just Democrats or liberals who who see problems with it. A lot of people say this is just too irresponsible uh, to to try to get people the relief that even conservatives and libertarians believe they should have. Tell me why you see it differently. Well, I I see. I think both sides of that argument. There are many good things in this bill. Lower rates are positive for economic growth. Simplification is good for everybody. Base broadening is good. So those are positive features. Um, I agree somewhat with the people worried about the deficit. The pro-growth part of tax reform is the lower rates, not the tax cuts. So if we take deductions away from people and lower their rates, Mm -hmm. we can boost economic growth without increasing the deficit. I would have preferred an approach like that. 
but I still think the good in this bill outweighs the bad. Uh, well, uh, let's talk about those 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 cuts and who will get them and why they will grow the economy. And let's talk about it in historical terms. We've done this before. We did this when George W. Bush was president. Uh, we did it in a more dramatic fashion, in fact, when Ronald Reagan was president, uh, really reordered the tax code. Uh, and in both cases, the same thing happened. And it wasn't necessarily because of economic theory that it happened. It was because of, I guess, political practice, which is that uh, Washington is really bad at paying for the things that it wants to, to create. And so in the case of George W. Bush, she had a tax cut, but she also started two wars and added a significant uh, benefit to uh, to, to the healthcare uh, system, the the, the government healthcare uh, that we have, Medicare, uh, Medicare Part D, I believe, was what what passed uh, uh, during during his presidency. Um, in in the 1980s, you had uh, you didn't have commensurate cuts uh, to deal with the, the tax rates, cuts in social programs or whatever, or defense or whatever uh, to pay for it. So, what makes you think that uh, the, the the growth now would be enough to pay for uh, these things that, that aren't likely to change in terms of cost. What, what, what is it about sure. this that, that you say is going to work? Okay, so to clarify, I'm not saying these tax cuts will generate enough growth to pay for the tax cuts. Okay, okay. Um, I believe they will increase growth. They therefore partially pay for themselves over the 10-year congressional scoring window. Now, if you want to wait long enough, they will pay for themselves because even a tiny bit of extra growth over enough years is going to make the tax cut pay for itself. So it's certainly not a bill that we should expect to see federal revenue not decline. There is no doubt in the short term the deficit will be bigger because of passing this bill. Yeah, But I agree with you. I, less revenue for the federal government is fine if they would just cut spending. Um, but that never we, happened. It does not normally happen, and it does not look like it's going to happen now. The, they now bought themselves two more weeks to discuss how they can compromise on spending more money. There's no question of spending less money. The Republicans and Democrats are only fighting over where they spend more money. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. Uh, my guest is Jeffrey Dorfman, a professor and economist at the University of Georgia. We have him here for our Opposite Friday segment when we try to invite somebody in who has a different perspective about things than I do. So maybe somebody who sits across the political spectrum. This week we're talking about the tax plan that passed the U.S. Senate recently and now has to go to a conference committee where it will work out its differences with uh, the United States House. Uh, what do you think about that tax bill? Is that tax bill responsible? Uh, some uh, even conservative analyses say uh, there's too much deficit growth that will be associated with this to make it a good bill. Uh, what do you think about the, the, the way that that will work? Do you think uh, Republicans are making a mistake by embracing that. If you want to talk about it, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will work you into the conversation. Let's go to David in Gross Point. David, welcome to Detroit Today. Oh, thanks for having me, Mr. Henderson. I sure. appreciate it. I have a question for your guest, uh -huh. and I will take the answer offline. 
uh, why are the federal withholding taxes capped at approximately $105,000 per year? Why can't that be increased? And uh, using, you know, using that as a means to save some of the other more popular deductions like uh, uh, student, loan in, uh, student loan interest or some of the SALT deductions. And I will take my answer offline. Thank David. you. David, thanks very much for the call and the question. Uh, Jeffrey Dorfman, uh, wh- why why wait the the deductions the way that they have in this in this bill? Sure. Um, so I'm not sure I completely understood the question, the, but I can answer part of it at least. Uh-huh. The student loan interest deduction does still exist in the Senate version, uh-huh. and I think will inv- exist in the final version. So I don't think that's going away. Um, in terms of the state and local tax deduction, mm-hmm. both the House and the Senate are preserving a deduction for your property taxes up to $10,000. And from what I hear, there is a good chance that the final bill will actually let people with under $10,000 in property taxes include state and local income taxes in that deduction up to that same $10,000 cap. So it could be that the state and local deduction isn't actually going away. It'll just be capped at $10,000. Right. I, 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 and and I, we, David did not stay on the line, so I can't, uh, I right. can't I, go back I to ask him. But I think part of what he was asking about, or at least what I was hearing, uh, was how how we weight the deductions for people who sit at the bottom uh, of the of the of the income uh, uh, curve, uh, as opposed to at the top. I, th- I think one of the things sure. he was asking was, are we giving too much away at the top with this bill and not and and taking it from people at the bottom? And, and I can definitely address that. And the answer is we're not. Um, we shouldn't, but we're not. And also um, that there's only so much you can do. So if we tax rich people less. That is not the same as taking money away from poor people. We're simply taking less money away from rich people. Poor people are unaffected by that. Second, very important, poor people essentially don't pay income taxes. The top 20% of earners in the United States pay 80% of all income taxes. The income tax, that's true. Yes. The other 80% of us only pay 20%, and the bottom 50% pay on average zero. So it's very, there is no way to give tax cuts to people that are in the lower half of the income distribution because they're already not paying income taxes. In fact, they get small tax cuts in this plan because they're going to be sending them bigger refunds. There are, people will actually get all their withholding back plus extra. The government is sending them money. They're certainly not sending them much extra money, um, you know, which they theoretically could do, but... The reason the rich get most of the tax cuts in this bill is because they're the only people left paying a lot in taxes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, David, again, thanks very much for your call uh, and that question. I really appreciate it. Uh, Let's go to Jason in Clawson. Jason, welcome to Detroit today. Hey, how's it going? Good, how are you? uh, Good. Let's make a couple points here. You know, the Republican Party is always talking about regular order and oh my god all these programs are going to explode the deficit and yet they passed this tax plan with handwritten things in the margins and it was 500 pages long and they only gave it 
you know, two hours before people are supposed to vote on these things. So it seems like they're totally outside of regular order. They don't care about the deficit. It just seems pretty, uh, it's very frustrating as an American citizen. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I I I can relate to what you're saying, Jason. I mean, Republicans spent eight years really assailing the Obama administration for the spending that it was doing, and there was no question that they spent a lot of money trying to get the economy, uh, you know, recharged after after the recession. Uh, but that now uh, that that's not a concern for for at least the, the majorities in both houses, which passed a bill that would. Uh, explode that deficit. Uh, Jeffrey, uh, I, I'm curious what you make of that duality in the in the Republican Party and, and among conservatives. Uh, how important is the deficit or should it be uh, in these discussions? It, it seems as though it's a political weapon that that uh, the Republicans use. They're, they're against them when they're Democratic deficits. They're for them if they're Republican ones. But, but what's the what's the real way we ought to be thinking about that? Sure. I, the real way we should be thinking about that is both parties are completely hypocritical. The Democrats now don't like deficits because they don't get control of the spending. When the Republicans are in the minority, they don't like deficits because they don't get control to control the spending. Both sides love to spend on the things they want to spend on. And they both complain when money's getting spent on the things they don't want to spend money on. There, There is no difference on fiscal conservatism between Republicans and Democrats. It's all about who's in power versus who's out of power. I mean, that's, I think, the the reality. There are certainly plenty of fiscal conservatives who wish the government was spending less money. Right. Very few of them appear to be Republican members of Congress. But but, uh, let's also talk about the deficit itself. How important is that? How how concerned should we be about the deficit? Now, uh, let's go back nine years and and talk about where we were when uh, Barack Obama took office. You know, you you were losing 700,000 jobs a month. Uh, You know, people were being evicted from their homes. All kinds of all kinds of things were were in in chaos. Some economic theories say you don't worry about deficits as much in that situation as you do when when things are going well. Is that is that your approach to it or or? Uh, are there are there other ways we ought to think about deficits? Sure. I, I prefer to care about it all of the time. I do not believe the stimulus spending during the recession particularly helped the economy. And in fact, in many ways, it hurt the economy. Um, but I also think it's important that it's the level of government spending and interference in the market that matters more than the deficit. Okay. So I would rather see smaller government with a deficit than a bigger government that is fully paid for. Um, but that's an interesting, yeah, right. I mean, and that's a really different, that's a really different way to think about it. And, and we don't hear, well, I mean, I guess it's an economist's way of thinking about it. And, and maybe one of the problems in Washington is that it's not economists who are, who are putting these things together. It's politicians and, and they're, we can definitely agree on that. Yeah. <laughs> they're leading with a, a different sensibility. Jason, uh, thanks again very much for the call. Uh, let's go, f- uh, let's go back to the phones here. Alan in West Bloomfield. Welcome to Detroit today. Thank you. I, I was following up on that earlier caller who was talking about the social security limit when he mentioned 105,000. Mm-hmm. That's what he was referring to. Super. And he was suggesting that the uh, that limit should be raised um, 
to uh, deal with problems in the Social Security system, which, of course, uh, relate to the overall federal deficit, because Mm -hmm. right now the money is coming from the Social Security system to the rest of the federal government. And, of course, there's an issue as baby boomers continue at age, that's going to go the other way. And so we're, we're talking about uh, issues in the in the same uh, pot of money, if you will, and so we're depriving money uh, in the federal income tax system. Your guest talked about how people don't pay federal income tax under a certain income, and that's certainly true. But they absolutely do pay of uh, and very significant percents of their income uh, for Social Security and Medicare. Yeah, that, Alan, that's an interesting. That's a really interesting point, Jeffrey Dorfman. I'll give you a chance to to respond to what Alan's saying there. Sure, and Alan, thank you for, for clearing up the earlier question. Social Security uh, pay, payroll taxes for Social Security and Medicare are definitely something that everybody who works pays, or almost everybody that works pays. The trouble with raising the Social Security earnings cap so that people pay Social Security tax on more of their earnings uh, is that if you do that, you then owe those same people more money when they retire because the size of your check when you retire has to do with how much you paid in. Right. So it doesn't actually help make the Social Security program particularly uh, more sound in terms of its financing if we tax rich people more. Um, if you want to tax rich people more to pay for things, just tax rich people more to pay for <laughs> things. But messing with Social Security isn't probably the way to try and fix uh, our deficit problems. Right. Uh, that's an interesting way to think about so the, the problems with Social Security, which is that uh, because of the way it's structured, it's hard to it's hard to fix it by just tinkering with the uh, the mechanism, I guess, that, 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 that puts the money in and then pays it out. You, you sort of have to find, I guess, what you're saying is another source of of revenue for, right. for we those need benefits. More people having more babies, quick, get right. them get them grown up and working so they can pay Social Security taxes. So they can get into the or system. Or yeah. we got to raise the retirement age or change the rules somehow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Alan, again, thanks very much for that call. And again, if you want to join the conversation here, 313-577-1019. Uh, my guest is Jeffrey Dorfman, a professor and economist at the University of Georgia. We're talking about the Republican tax plans, uh, what they will do to people's pocketbooks, what they will do to the federal deficit, and whether any of this is a great idea. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number. You can also go on the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Danny in Ann Arbor. Danny, welcome to Detroit Today. It's Jamie, actually. Oh, I'm sorry, Jamie. <laughs> it yeah. says Danny on the, no on the thing here. Yeah, go ahead. Thanks a lot for taking my call, guys. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I hear this a little bit different uh, aspect of this, but um, I, I hear that both bills are going to wipe out itemizations, uh, personal itemizations. Um, I'm in sales. Uh, for 20 years I've been itemizing, and it's a big chunk of my income. Uh, I pay a lot of uh, personal expenses in my sales job, and mm-hmm. I have to claim them all. Um, I think a lot of people are in the same boat. Uh, I'm not sure if there's something there to uh, offset that or, you know, address that in the bill. Um, I'm, you know, I've got a boy in law school. I've got another one in, at Western, and one's about to start college somewhere else. And, wow. yeah. and uh, I make about six figures, a little over six figures, 
and live paycheck to paycheck pretty much um, in Ann Arbor. Hmm. I'm just wondering uh, yeah. how I'm going to be affected by this. And and, and I guess just to, to sort of really clarify your question, you you believe that that you will pay more under this under this? Yeah, roof. well, it appears that way. Yeah, and I just yeah. like you know if you guys can clarify that at all, yeah. um, I appreciate it. Yeah, no, thanks very much for the call. Jeffrey Dorfman, I'll let you uh, address that. Sure, Jamie. Yeah, thanks for the question. Um, so itemizing is not going away. It, it will still exist. However, the standard deduction gets doubled, so fewer people will itemize. Uh, so a married filing jointly will now get a $24,000 standard deduction. So your first $24,000 in income is untaxed. That means that unless your mortgage interest deduction plus charitable deductions um, exceed $24,000, you will just take the standard deduction. And between that doubled standard deduction and the lower interest rates, most people, including somebody in your situation, will probably pay less in total. Um, there are some people that will pay more. They're taking away exemptions. So if you had a lot of dependents, you could end up paying more taxes under this bill. Um, some types of itemization may go away. If you had big numbers in those categories, you could end up paying more taxes. With the main person, families being affected there, at least under the House bill, where the medical expense deduction goes away, would be a family with somebody, for example, in a continuing care facility where they had very high medical expenses they might be paying out of pocket. Um, but on the whole, the lower rate and the doubled standard deduction should more than compensate for what you're losing in terms of itemized things or other special loopholes. I mean, that's an interesting, that's also an interesting issue to, to, to consider, which is, uh, you know, when you take one thing away in the tax code, what else are you, you know, are you, are you adding something else in in another way that that compensates for it? And and I, I I have to say I don't think anyone has done a great job in Washington of explaining that uh, to people. Be and, and maybe that's because the process has looked the way it has with you know these sort of very hurried uh, uh, negotiations and and votes and things. And and as one caller pointed out, this this very frenetic last. Uh, ditch effort to get this passed, which included you know notes in the margins and and, and things like that. Um, but but overall, uh, you know, it's very complicated. And I think Jamie's question is a good one. And and there haven't been a whole lot of uh, of answers for that. So Jamie, I, I'm I'm glad you called, and I'm glad we got you uh, a little bit of uh, a little bit of information there. Um, let's go to Ken in Ferndale. Ken, welcome to Detroit today. Hi, Stephen. Um, I, I think equating the two parties here and saying that there, you know there's a, a level of, of hypocrisy from both of them is is really inaccurate. Um, if you look at the only president that's had an opportunity to really buy down the the, uh, the national debt was was Clinton, and he did it. Mm -hmm. He came into office at a period when the economy wasn't in particularly great shape. I mean, right. he won by by beating Bush with the it's the economy stupid line. Right. And so he, he essentially came into office with the same set of fiscal conditions that Trump is. And, and so, so now, instead of, instead of proposing a budget that, that actually does work to cut down the debt while we have a little bit of growth going on and, and an opportunity to do that, we're, we're, in choosing, we're 
we're choosing instead to you know put ourselves in a precarious fiscal situation and i think that's that does i mean that is hypocrisy on the part of the of the republicans because that's always been their their mantra is that we we have to be responsible yeah. um it's and and now we're not yeah so I, I don't think there's an it's a false equivalence or or it's a false premise to say that you know the Dem- obama didn't have a chance to do that because he came into office with with really just you know a, a steaming pile of economy uh, but yeah. but uh, uh, well, the only one that really had that chance was was Clinton, and he did it right. And, and I I think that's a great example. I'm glad you you, you bring it up. I, I would say I would say that I think um, you know Democrats have just approached this really differently. And and but I think uh, Professor Dorfman's uh, point was that both parties like to spend money, uh, and they want to spend money on the things they want to spend them on. I would agree more with the things that Democrats want to spend money on, and that uh, that often uh, Democrats will spend money on those things without concern to the deficit. Their their concern is more making sure people have what they need, making sure government services are, are provided in a way that, uh, that make people's lives better. Um, and I don't think that that necessarily is, is contradicted by the Clinton example, um, in part because Clinton was was forced to deal with deficit spending by a Republican Congress, uh, I'm not sure he'd have done it uh, on his own. Even though, even though I'd like to believe uh, Democrats would have, I think that they they would have had other other priorities. But I'll also let uh, Jeffrey Dorfman uh, answer that that question. Well, I, I would actually agree with you completely, there, Stephen. Uh, President Clinton did not. Uh, worry about the deficit or spending until Newt Gingrich and the Republicans took control of the House and made him. And actually, neither one deserves credit for the surpluses during the Clinton. That was all due to capital gain taxes that came in from the dot-com stock bubble, the first sort of uh, internet stock bubble. It was extra taxes that nobody expected. If you go back and look at projected deficit just a year or two before those Clinton surpluses started rolling in, there were no surpluses predicted. It wasn't anything that Bill Clinton or that Newt Gingrich and the Republicans did. It was, it was simply that first program. wave of yeah. Dell Computer and Intel and Cisco and everybody having their stock go through the roof, all the people getting rich on that, paying their capital gains tax that gave us those couple years of surpluses. Yeah. Now, none of that is to in any way uh, suggest that George W. Bush or, or anybody else did a good job on controlling spending. Uh, they didn't. There, there have, I'm not here to defend recent Republican presidents uh, on that ground because they haven't done a good job. They have campaigned as fiscal conservatives and then not governed as such, no doubt about it. Yeah. And the difference, I think, between the two parties, again, is where the focus is on growth, right? Republicans believe exactly. uh, that, that, that growth comes at the top and that it, it helps, you know, uh, rise, rising tide lifts all boats, that kind of thing. Democrats are more concerned with trying to grow the bottom, uh, trying to get more money in, in people's paychecks, which doesn't happen all the time when you when you give tax relief at the top. It hasn't happened the last two times we've done it. Um, uh, and, and they believe that the growth comes up from from the bottom. But but both parties, I think, as you point out, are, are at times – 
dis- disregarding things like deficits be- in order to do the things they want to do. Uh, again, thanks very much for that call. I think that was a really uh, interesting thing to, to uh, uh, inter- interject into the conversation here. Let's take one more call here. Barbara in Detroit. Welcome to Detroit Hi. today. Yeah, go ahead. Hi, thank you. Um, in regards to the lifting of the boats with the tide, um, I'd like to ask about you know what your guest thinks of the fact that the trickle-down economics haven't worked over the course of a hundred years that it's been tried. Right. And the tax cuts that he's talking about that will go toward the middle income and the deductions that will go away, but that'll be okay, those go away while the tax cuts for the upper class don't. Right. No, in this plan, you're right, Barbara. Absolutely. Those expire and, and the others uh, would be would be more permanent. Um uh, Jeffrey Dorfman, I, I know that uh, from our past conversations that you and I really disagree uh, on on the idea of of you know trickle down and and the, and what effect it, it it has. But I'll give you a chance to answer Barbara on that. But then also talk about these the difference in in these tax cuts. Why don't they Why don't they Why aren't they permanent for for middle and lower income folks? Sure. I mean, the, e- the easy answer to the tax cuts being permanent for the middle class is that they essentially are. Um, under the rules that the Senate has to follow to be able to pass this bill while avoiding a filibuster, the tax reform bill is not allowed to increase the deficit after 10 years. And so to satisfy that parliamentary rule, the tax cuts on the middle class and actually on rich people too, just not on businesses, but all the tax cuts on people expire. However, as we saw during President Obama's term, when the George W. Bush tax cuts were set to expire for exactly the same reason, Mm -hmm. the middle class part of the tax cuts were extended under President Obama. Well, actually the tax cuts on the rich did actually expire. Were allowed to expire, So there is no way Congress, whoever's in charge, Republican or Democrat, when those middle tax, middle class tax cuts are set to expire, we'll let them do so. It's simply a budget gimmick to satisfy the Senate rules, but the middle class tax cuts will be made permanent. As a, as a as a political imperative, essentially, that, exactly that, that you can't go back and and raise the taxes on people. Yeah. Okay. Jeffrey Dorfman, professor and economist at the University of Georgia. Always a pleasure to have this conversation with you on Detroit Today. Thanks for being here. Sure. Always happy to talk to you. Okay. We'll talk to you soon. Up next, we're going to catch up with the Reverend Faith Fowler of Cass Community Social Services about her tiny homes in Detroit and hurricane relief in Puerto Rico. Stay with us on Detroit Today.